I am a big words person. Words are important to me. And you might sit there and think, of course, you use a lot of them because you talk a lot. Yes, I do talk a lot. But you can ask, ask my family how important words are to me. If I've done something wrong and I realize that I have wronged one of my family members, one of my children, even when, when they were like very little, or if, I've, if, if there ever is a time and chances are it will happen at some point in time where I've, I've wronged you or I've done something and I've, I've hurt you, then I will come to you and I will apologize. And it's important to me because words carry weight Words have value to them, to me, and so I will apologize. And I made, I've made it this, this habit, even as I said, when my kids were very young, if I overreacted in a situation, I would sit them down and I would say, Dad is very sorry for what he did. That was not okay. Um, not only that, Renee didn't realize this about me when we got married, that words were very important to me. And she's had to learn over the length of our marriage, over the 22 years that we've been married, how important words are to me. If, if we had, in the beginning of our marriage, if we had a disagreement, and um, in that disagreement, if there were not apologies exchanged, then I was stuck. Like, I was, I was stuck there. Like, I would apologize to Renee, and she'd be like, thank you, and then she would kind of go on with her, with her day. And I'm like... Um, and then, but see, for Renee, Renee gets over things very quickly. And so she's already moved on. She's past the disagreement and she's on to greater and better things and has completely forgotten that we had a disagreement. I'm still stuck in the disagreement because I'm like, where's my apology? Where's the I'm sorry? And I'm stuck there. And so she's had to learn that. So she will now take the time and she'll say, listen, I am sorry for whatever, whatever it was. The same is true for me when communicating please or thank you because words are powerful, they have value and weight. And so for me, it's extremely important to communicate well. But this really only works if we mean what we say. Right, so if, if I say sorry and I'm not sorry, it really doesn't mean a whole lot, right? And, and like, listen, I, we... We all think that we're great actors in life. We really do. Because we will, we will say things and not, not mean them. And we think, nobody knows. Everybody knows. We're not that great of actors, right? We can see through each other and we can feel and sense when the apology is not real or when you say please and you're only saying please just to get what it is that you want or you say thank you and you're not really thank you. You're like, you're not feeling any of, the, any of these things. They have to be connected to our heart. Sometimes we can use words so often that they just simply lose their meaning. Right, like if you've got kids and you, as, you, as we teach our children to say please and thank you and sorry, when they've done something wrong and they know they've done something wrong, this is what you'll get. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They're really kind of sorry they got caught. <laughs> They're not really sorry for, for that they did it, right? They're just sorry that they got caught. And so we use words so often that at times they just kind of lose their meaning and we just throw them out there. If our words are not connected to our heart, it's not that we don't say them at all, but rather we start in the place of obedience. We use the words in obedience, right? We teach our children 
to say please. We teach our children to say thank you and to say I'm sorry, even when they don't want to or when they don't feel like it because it is the right thing to do. So we teach them that and they walk that out out of obedience. Sometimes what we start out of obedience finishes from our heart. There are many places in scripture where we are told to give thanks or we are told to be thankful and sometimes it's, 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 it comes across and it's commanded it's not just told but there's this command to be thankful or to be grateful or to give thanks and it's not a suggestion and it's not for when we just simply feel like it giving thanks is not a matter of feeling thankful it's a matter of obedience Joni Erickson Tada said that now she's got a place to sit in authority on being thankful. You see, she had a diving accident in 1967 that led, left her a quadriplegic and she has spent the last 55 years in a wheelchair. She has an authoritative voice on what it means to be thankful. In the Bible, David established what we have come to, to call the Tabernacle of David. It was, it was a tent where he took the Ark of the Covenant and he placed it inside this tent and he established 24-7 worship before the Ark and before the presence of God. And he gave one job, one job to the worship leader and his relatives and they were the ones that led worship in the, in the, in the, in, in, in the tent of David before the Ark. This was their job. David first entrusted Asaph and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord as their chief task they had one job give thanks to the Lord that was it see Thanksgiving isn't something that we do in worship Thanksgiving is worship if you've got your Bibles I want you to take them and turn to Psalm 100 or if you've got your app open your Bible app Psalm 100 five short verses Starts in verse 1. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness and delight. Come before his presence with joyful singing. Know and fully recognize with gratitude that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us, not we ourselves, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with a song of thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him, bless and praise him, for the Lord is good. His mercy and loving kindness are everlasting. His faithfulness endures to all generations. Now, depending on what translation that you read, sometimes there's a, there's a title to, to, the, to the psalm. And the title of this psalm is a song of thanksgiving, or it might say a psalm, which is the same thing. Psalm is a song, a song of thanksgiving. And this psalm is a call to worship. History tells us that this psalm was sung as the Israelites brought their thank offerings to the Lord in, 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 the, uh, in the temple. See, in the, in the Old Testament, bringing of offerings and bringing of sacrifices before God was the high point of worship. This was the culmination, the high point of their worship experience and their expression to God, and it had thanksgiving at the very center of it. 
Now, it wasn't until David brought the ark into the tent, like I talked about, where they started to establish the, the singing and the playing of music in the presence of God. See, David was a forerunner because he established what we understand worship to be today. And it wasn't really by the, by the law. They weren't supposed to be in there with the presence of God like that. But David knew something. He was a forerunner. He saw down the years and decades and thousands of years to after, when, after Jesus would come, give his life, die on the cross, be raised again three days later, and we would have full access, right? It says in that story when Jesus gave his life and he breathed his last that the, that the veil, there was this thick, heavy curtain, really tall, the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the, of, of, of the temple. That's where the, the presence of God was, that it was torn from the top to the bottom. And it was not possible for man to tear this. And it's, it's important that it says that from the top to the bottom because it was God initiated. And he was saying, you now all have access. See, David, way back, thousands of years before Jesus, he looked to that moment and he established this 24-7 worship before the presence of God. He was a forerunner. And this is what we understand as worship today. And he did it. And he established thanksgiving at the heart of it. The chief task, the one job of the worship leader was to give thanks to the Lord. So this psalm, Psalm 100, starts in verse 1 with a call to worship. And a call to worship with joyful shouts by all people. See, the call to worship is not reserved for those that just serve and love God. Right? It's a universal command that requires obedience. This, this call to worship goes out to all peoples of all nations of all time to worship the Lord. Now for us that know Jesus and we've given our heart to him, we don't simply do it just out of obedience because we, we, we've, we've encountered Jesus, his, his power in, his, in our lives, is what he's done for us and who he is and how much he cares for us and loves us. And so when we come to worship, it's not just simply out of obedience, but it's also this overflow of our heart and our love towards him. It's not just done out of duty. We have experienced his love and our response to his love is thanksgiving for all that he is and all that he has done and all that he will do. We don't. We don't worship because we feel like it. We worship because Jesus is worthy. And, and the worth of Jesus, the worthiness of Jesus isn't dependent upon my belief or your belief in him. It doesn't matter if we agree with him, disagree with him, if we like him, love him, or we despise him. Jesus is worthy of worship. And my thoughts about him don't impact his worth. He is worthy of worship and thanksgiving is worshiping him. I love that the psalm specifically calls for shouts of joy. I don't know if you've noticed, I shout in worship. That's me. Generally speaking, if someone's shouting, there's a high possibility it's coming from the front row. That's me. I'm a shouter. See, joy, the shouts of joy. Joy is a main characteristic of heaven. And we should be experiencing that characteristic, that joy in the here and now. We, we, don't, we don't just wait till we cross over into eternity to experience the joy of the Lord. We are to experience it now and we are to come before him with shouts of joy. 
Worship is not arduous. It's not this, this task, this thing that we have to get through so that we can get to the offering. Thank you for the pity laugh. I don't know anybody who said, let's get through the worship so we can just get to the offering. But worship is not arduous. It's cause for celebration. It's for shouts of joy, for peals of laughter. Worship is for smiles on faces. If you don't or you haven't experienced the joy of the Lord in worship, you're missing out. And I would encourage you to ask him to fill you with his joy. Fill you, Jesus, fill me with your joy. Let me experience and know the joy of the Lord. Start, you know what, and then when you ask, then activate, then engage. Start laughing. Start shouting. Start celebrating. Celebrating by faith and watch what bubbles up inside of you. A friend of mine who, who, who helped raise us up in, in ministry, he, would, he, would, he, he, has a, he has a teaching where he talks about the joy of the Lord and laughing with the Lord. And he says, how do you, how do you have joy in the Lord? How do, you, how do you experience that? You just start to laugh. Ha! Ha 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 And he will stand on stage and he just begins to laugh. See, you start by faith. Everything that we do in the kingdom of God is done by faith. If it's not done by faith, it's actually sin, which it talks about in Hebrews. So everything that we do in the kingdom of God is by faith. So if you're not feeling joy, then you ask him to fill you with joy, and then by faith, you start acting out of that joy. You're not faking it. You're faithing it. You are activating and you are believing that God heard your prayer for joy. You want to experience the joy of the Lord. You want it to come and bubble up inside of you. And now you're activating that. And so you put a smile on your face, right? You come into worship and you celebrate and you give shouts of joy. And maybe you start to laugh. It's okay. Listen, I'm the pastor of this church and I want to let you know it's okay to laugh in church. If church isn't fun, then we're doing it wrong right? Church, church should be fun because it's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. And so if you haven't, if you haven't laughed until your face hurt and tears of streaming down your face in church, then you need to begin to ask God for that experience. And then you begin to, you begin to faith it. Gladness, delight, and joy are to characterize this moment of thanksgiving. Now listen, not all moments with the Lord are solemn. I think sometimes we get stuck in this, this thought process or the way we, we look at approaching God as we need to come bowed low and, and it, it's mournful and it's repentance and it's weeping and it's fasting. There is that element but God is, is, is more than that. He is also feasting and celebrating and laughing and rejoicing. I think perhaps that we'd be more attractive to those that don't know Jesus if it looked like we enjoyed following him. Verse 3 says, know that the Lord is God. That word know in Hebrew means to know by experience. It's not just, okay, here, I know that he is God. But it's to know here. It's to... We'll say it this way. It's to know in your knower. You know when you know something deep inside of you? That's your knower. He says know in your knower that, that, that he is God. 
He is God. Have that experience. I, listen, I've spent enough time with myself and, I've, and, and to know by experience that I am not God. I've spent enough time with people to know by experience that you're not God either. We fall short so often. We mess it up so many times. Listen, there's been more than a time or two, more than a handful of times, when I've looked at a situation, when I've looked at something that was taking place and seen the mercy of God and been like, you know, I don't know that I would have had mercy there. Where, where I've looked at somebody and was like, you know, what they probably need is a good smite from the Lord. I think that maybe we're missing some good smiting from God. <laughs> How many people are thankful that I'm not God? I'm thankful that I'm not God because I know I would have been on the receiving end of a few smites in my life. God is God and we are not. Thank the Lord for that. It goes on to say that he made us. We didn't make him. We didn't make us. He made us. And he takes pleasure in us. I love how the Passion Translation writes the end of verse 3. It says, for he is our creator and we belong to him. We are the people of his pleasure. He delights in you. He loves you. And he likes you. And come on, we're, we're, let's, be, let's be real. They're not always the same. You don't always like the people that you love. Come on. There's just sometimes, you know what? Like, I love you, but I don't like you right now, and I just don't want to be around you. But you need to know that God loves you, and he likes you. He takes delight in your life. He doesn't just tolerate you. God doesn't tolerate you. He delights in you, and he takes pleasure in your life. Verse 4 says, we enter his gates with a song of thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We approach the presence of Jesus through thanksgiving. See, it's our gratitude that leads us to him and opens the way for us to have encounters with his presence. The message translation says it this way, enter with the password, thank you. See, if, if, if in worship, I'm not sensing the presence of Jesus, I know it's, the breakdown is not on God's end. It's on my end. So if, if I'm in worship and I'm like, oh God, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not sensing your presence, then we go here. You enter with the password, thank you. You begin to give thanks, right? I change that by thanksgiving. Thanksgiving opens the door for me to encounter the presence of Jesus. Thanksgiving positions us in the presence of God. Listen, it's not that, it's not that it brings God closer to us because God is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere all the time. There's nowhere that we can go, right? Even David, David writes, he says, where can I go from the presence of God? If I go to the heights, you are there. If I go to the depths of Sheol, the place of the dead, you are there. There's nowhere that we can go where God is not. But there's something like, and these are things that we don't quite understand. So if God is everywhere all the time, how do I position myself closer to him? I, I know it doesn't make any sense, but that's okay. Because if you can fully understand God, you've just made him like yourself. You're not going to be able to understand him. He is everywhere all the time. But it's our thanksgiving that doesn't draw him in closer to us. But it opens the doorway for us to get closer to him. It's about our positioning. Where are we? And thanksgiving positions us in the presence of God. 
Renee, a few months back, she shared on this verse, and, and she taught that, that we position ourselves to be heard by God. Not so that, so that God can... No, I said that wrong. We, we position ourselves not so that God can hear us, because God hears us just fine, but we position ourselves so that we can hear God. I need to be close to his face so that I can hear him whisper my name. I don't want to have God shouting at me to get my attention. I want to be so close. Like the, 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 the picture is at the Last Supper, where was the disciple that Jesus loved? John, he was leaning back against the chest of Jesus so that the face of Jesus was right here. And they, when they wanted to know who was going to betray Jesus, Peter turned to John because of John's position leaning back against Jesus. And Peter said, ask him who it is. And John is right here to the face of Jesus. I need to position myself close to the face of God so that I can hear his whispers to me. The Hebrew word for thanksgiving here is todah, which means a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Sometimes, sometimes I'm really feeling thankful, right? Things are going my way. I, I was just blessed or, you know, like there's favor and sunshine and roses and the birds are singing and I am just feeling thankful. It's flowing out of me. And then there's times when not so much. It's a hard season of life and I don't feel thankful. But listen, it doesn't matter if I feel thankful or not. Thanksgiving is commanded. It's not suggested. And there's something powerful, there's something significant about thanksgiving through sacrifice. It's worship. It positions us in his presence. I know he loves our worship, but I think there's something special when it's a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And you're not feeling it. And everything's not going your way. And you're thankful anyway. Psalms 50 twice mentions this concept of sacrificial thanksgiving. In verse 14, it comes in the way of instruction. It says, like, something we are, we are supposed to do. It says, offer to God the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And then later on, a few verses down in verse 23, it says, He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. Honors me. See, to honor in, in Hebrew means to give weight to something. It, it means that something is, is heavy. It's treating a person with the full weight of their value. Remember the, the, the monetary system. When they had money, it was, it was precious metal, right? And, 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 it, and it, was, it was valued by its purity and by its weight, how heavy it was. See, when we, when we come with the sacrifice of thanksgiving in our worship, we are treating God with the full costly value that is due Him. We are honoring Him. It makes sure that in my heart that I'm approaching, that I'm approaching Him appropriately as the King of kings, as the King of the universe, as the creator of everything. And not just casually, He's, he's my buddy, He's my bro, He's my friend. Like, there is that tension because it is true. He is my friend, and it is true. God is my Father, but it is also true that He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And it's also true that it says that He dwells in unapproachable light. 
So we've got these, these tensions where we know the veil has been torn, I have full access, right? It says in Hebrews that I can approach the throne with confidence, with boldness, but at the same time, he dwells in unapproachable light. So there's this tension of he's, he's my friend, yes, but, but he's also the king of the universe, and I have to honor him, and I have to treat him with, with value and reverence and, and awe. And we honor Jesus when we offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. Hebrews 13, 15, the writer says, Therefore, by him, him is Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, so he's saying, I'm about to tell you what the sacrifice of praise is. The sacrifice of praise is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Let us continue offer, continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Let us continually offer the sacrifice of giving thanks to Him. That's the sacrifice of praise. Thanksgiving is the sacrifice of praise. When our daughter Faith was four years old, she had her, her last uh, open, open heart surgery. Many of you know that she was born with a, a, a severe complex heart defect and she's had some reconstructive open-heart surgeries. And when she was four years old, she had her last one. It was expected when we went into the surgery, it was expected that she'd be in the hospital for seven to ten days. Seven to ten days turned into 20 days, which turned into a month in hospital over the Christmas season because Faith had some complications with fluid draining from her chest. See, the, when you have open-heart surgery, they, they put chest tubes in on your side to drain fluid because your body produces fluid and they, they need to, it needs to drain out of there. And it should stop within a couple days. And Faith didn't stop and it wouldn't stop and it just kept draining. This was hard. It was hard on Faith. She was always daily, multiple times throughout the day, you know, doctors and nurses coming in and poking and prodding at her and picking at her and you know they're, they're trying to help but when you're four years old you don't you don't understand you don't have the the grasp and there were there were some times when she had some severe allergic reactions to to pain medications it's 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 funny now but we would go to the, when we go to the doctor you know if you, we take her in and they're like okay does she have any allergies to pain medication and we say yes morphine ativan you know just the hardcore drugs and they kind of look at us like what she reacts uh, with wild hallucinations when she's given those opioids. And these can be very dangerous because it's not just like seeing things, but it's like, it was like it was immersive seeing things that weren't there and she was trying to get to things and to people that weren't in the room. And so with multiple chest tubes and IV lines and ports, she's twisting and turning all over her, her hospital bed. And so it's very dangerous as we are there trying to help her calm down. And there's, there's nothing that, that can be done but, but manage it. And I remember one day, as if it was yesterday, and they, they came into, the, into her room to do a procedure. And I chose to wait in the waiting room. And Renee stayed behind. I get queasy really easily, and I tend to pass out. I mean, there's been times, um, <laughs> there's been times when Faith was getting blood drawn, and she's like, I'm like, it's okay, honey, it's gonna be okay, and I'm like down on the ground, because <laughs> I'm like, I'm feeling lightheaded, I'm gonna pass out, I'm like, it's gonna be okay. 
and the nurses are looking at me like, sir, are you going to be okay? I'm like, yes, just tend to my daughter. She's more important. But anyway, I get, I get lightheaded and I get queasy, so I left. Renee, not so much. She's like, she's in there. She actually was assisting and holding instruments, and she was part of the medical team for, for that moment. I was sitting in the waiting room, and I was, I was really upset. I was mad. I was mad because this sucked. It sucked for faith. It sucked for our family. This was at a time, uh, flu season was really bad. And so you couldn't be in the hospital if you were a little kid. And so our son Josiah, who was seven, his best friend is his sister, couldn't see her and couldn't be with us. And we needed to be with faith in the hospital. And so one of us would see Josiah for a few hours a day. And then that, that was it. And it was, it was hard. And I was sitting, sitting in the, waiting room, being mad and upset and angry. And then God started talking to me. He started showing me what I had to be thankful for. He was giving me perspective. The problem was, is I didn't want perspective. I wanted faith to be better. I wanted to go home. Like she had her surgery on like Thanksgiving day. And then we should have been out in, in a week. And here we are getting closer and closer to Christmas. And I'm like, the last place we want to be on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning is in the hospital. And, and so I, I didn't want perspective. I wanted to go home. And I wanted faith to be okay. And then a family walked in. I was the only one in the waiting room. And this family walked in. And they sat across the room from me. And they were clearly devastated. And I overheard them talking about a child who was about 10 years old. The child, you know, a few days earlier had gotten sick with a cold and it wasn't a big deal until that morning they didn't wake up. They called 911 and they rushed that child to the hospital and they, the child was now on life support and the doctors had no idea why and they didn't think that they could do anything and it looked like the child wouldn't live the rest of the day and I sat there hearing their conversation And I said to God, I get it. I have so much to be thankful for. See, a broken, painful sacrifice of thanksgiving is still worship. In the midst of your pain and your trauma and your difficulty, as hard and as difficult as it can be, a broken offering of thanksgiving, a painful offering of thanksgiving, it's still worship. And you never get that moment back. When the situation gets better, I can't, I can't give thanks in that moment. I can only give thanks in that moment, of that moment of pain and of brokenness. It's so sweet and it's so special. And I believe that the Lord honors that and he loves that sacrifice. He knows it's hard for us. There's nothing that he doesn't know. The end of Psalm 100 gives us three unchanging reasons for us to be forever thankful regardless of what we're going through. So, I mean, I know, like we all go through stuff and if you're like, I, I, I don't know what I have to be thankful for, we turn here. Number one, it says the Lord is good. God is good. God is not evil. God is light. God is not darkness. He is not angry. He is not vengeful. He is always and in every situation good. If it's not good, it's not God. 
We cannot associate things that are not good to God. That's wrong. God is only good. James tells us, the book of James says, every good and perfect gift comes down to us from the Father of lights in whom there is no shifting, there is no shadow, there is no turning, there is no changing. He is always good. God is good and you and I are on the receiving end of that goodness. Be thankful for his goodness. Number two, you can be thankful for his mercy and loving kindness because they are everlasting. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. That's a real simple definition of mercy. And what we do deserve is separation from God. We don't deserve to be in relationship with him because our sin separates us from him. But God's mercy says, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not okay with that. I'm gonna provide a way. I'm gonna send my son. I'm gonna send Jesus who will live a perfect life and will give his life as a, as a substitutionary sacrifice upon the cross so that he can give you his sinlessness, and he will take on all of your sin, all of your imperfections, if you will just accept him and live with him as your God. So instead of cutting us off and being separated, he brings us in through Jesus, loving kindness. He showers us with blessing, with favor, with love. Thank you, Jesus. The Passion Translation says it, says it this way. He's so loving that it will amaze you. He's so kind that it will astound you. And it never stops. It's everlasting. And the third thing that we have to be thankful for is his faithfulness endures to all generations. He is faithful he is steady, stable, and secure. He is our firm foundation. He never quits. He never gives up. He never runs out on me. Jesus isn't moody. He's not flighty. He's not cantankerous. He's not uh, crabby or capricious. Jesus is in a good mood. God is in a good mood. The Father is in a good mood. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's not just for us, but it's for all generations and all peoples. So if you're not sure what to be thankful for, we start here. You start with these things out of obedience. You start to give thanks for he is good. You start to give thanks for his loving kindness and his mercy that they're everlasting. And you give thanks for his faithfulness that endures to all generations. So you start your thankfulness in the place of obedience. And then once you start giving thankfulness and thanksgiving, out of obedience, you watch what happens. That thankfulness just begins to bubble up on the inside. It's almost like out of obedience, it unlocks. And then you can shift, your perspective shifts and you look at your life and you're like, you know what, I can be thankful for this and for that and for this person. And I'm thankful that that situation didn't turn out like, like it looked like it could. It was, looked like it was gonna be a lot worse than what it did. And that, that thanksgiving just begins to flow out and now you're getting specific about what you're thankful for in your own life. I believe that we need a revelation of thanksgiving. We need a revelation of thanksgiving so that no matter what circumstance we're walking through or difficulties we're facing, we are always worshiping with thanksgiving. How amazing would it be to be known as the most thankful people on the planet? Charles Spurgeon, great theologian, said, so long as we are receivers of mercy, we must be givers of thanks. Thanks. 
Over the past three weeks, I've been listening to a, an autobiography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I finished it yesterday afternoon. It goes through his life, and he um, was, a, was a German theologian and pastor who lived in World War II, if you're not, if you're not sure who he is. And he was part of resistance against uh, Hitler and the Nazi regime and what they were doing. And he was, he, was, he was literally a spy. And he was working against the Nazis in Germany, trying to bring down Hitler and end the war. And he got captured and arrested. And, um, and they don't have a lot of his letters from the last few days and hours of his life. But they've got accounts of people that were with him. And as I listened to it, I was just floored as the, what they said about him. He was hanged. He gave his life as a martyr. And they said, I've never seen such a man who was so joyful. He was always so concerned about his fellow prisoners, making sure that they did not fall into despair and into depression. That he was lifting them up. And they said, I've never seen a man so, so resolute in his conviction, in his belief, in his relationship with God. He was different than anyone else. And all these descriptions on and on and on. They talked about how he knelt down on the ground and he prayed. And this is one person who was remembering or commenting. Said, I've never seen someone pray with such a belief that their God was hearing them. As in that moment. And then he got up and he walked the stairs to the top of the gallows and he gave his life. He was hanged. He's a joyful, thankful person. He wrote many times how it would be his honor to give his life and he was talked about how thankful he was. Thanksgiving is worship. And Jesus is worthy of our worship. So my challenge for us today is that we make a conscious commitment to giving thanks to God always and in every situation. This isn't thanking him for every situation because that's not right. Those horrible things that happen to you, you don't thank him for that. You give thanks in that. Our worship will be filled with thanksgiving. That's, where I'm, that's the challenge for us today. That even when my life is hard, that we would choose to give thanks and we would choose to offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving and worship. And that we, here, this church family, that we would be known as the most thankful people on the planet. That people would see that on you. Man, they're just so thankful. And when you're thankful... You're joyful. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for you. I thank you for your goodness, how you pursue us. You never give up on us. You're always there. We fall down and you don't wait for us to get up, but you help us up. You pick us back up on our feet. You are so merciful and gracious and kind and loving. Your loving kindness knows no bounds. It knows no ends. You are faithful. Faithful and true. Faithful to all generations. I thank you, Jesus.
I thank you for my church family, that we get to do life together. We get to walk together, build relationship one with another. I'm thankful for your presence. And I ask that you would release over us a revelation of thanksgiving. That no matter what we walk through, that we would be givers of thanks. That we would approach you in worship with thankful hearts. And we would let that flow out of us, that thanksgiving, that thankfulness. Sometimes just, we're feeling it. And even when we don't, when it's a sacrifice, that we would be committed to being thankful. I ask for a revelation of thanksgiving to be poured out upon us as a people, as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.